Welcome to another episode of On The Mic. I'm your host, Dani Osman, and today's guest is Janissa Ng from the Worldwide Fund for Nature. We spoke about the COVID-19 pandemic's impact on society and the environment, the link between the wildlife trade and the spread of diseases, as well as how individuals can contribute towards environmental causes. This interview was recorded before the 2020 general election. Hi, Janissa. How are you today? Great. Glad to be on the call with you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking the time. I mean, I'm sure it's a hectic time for all of us. As for you as well. Okay, so um, before we begin, um, can we just get you to introduce yourself and tell us what you do? I'm Janissa and I'm from the WWF Singapore Communications team where we do outreach advocacy on important environmental issues in Singapore. And the organization that I'm with uh, is the Worldwide Fund for Nature. We are one of the world's oldest and biggest conservation organizations in over 100 countries. In Singapore, we've been here for about over 10 years Mm -hmm. and we work a lot on environmental issues that actually most of us in Singapore care about. If you think about the haze or plastic pollution, uh, these are the important issues that we work on um, by reaching you know, communities, businesses and governments in Singapore and around the region as well. So when it comes to WWF's work in Singapore, does this include like uh, advocating for changes in government policy? I think when it comes to environmental issues, right, these are always really complex. It cannot be solved by, you know, an organization or Mm -hmm. a single individual, which is why when we do our work, whether in Singapore or around the world, really, we have to, you know, work with communities, build kind of like the ground up awareness and support uh, among individuals and communities. We also have to work with businesses and governments because we are aware that when businesses and governments you know, uh, implement a policy or take action, the scale and the impact of it can, is significant and can go a long way in addressing government issues. So even in Singapore, we also do advocacy, mm-hmm. um, things like illegal wildlife trade, plastics, and of course, more recently, climate. These are important issues to us. Um, you asked about successes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think maybe one of the more recent ones, and it's actually set to kick in soon, is we are going to have a full and complete ivory band in Singapore. I feel like, Danny, you, you covered it uh, not, not long ago. But, you know, so this is where, you know, there was already awareness or support for, mm-hmm. for uh, Singapore to have stronger wildlife laws. And that's where we ran a campaign to build that kind of ground-up support among people in Singapore to support an ivory band, yes. which was announced towards the end of 2019. Yes, so I this is where you can... Yeah, this is where you can see the the you know the voices of the people actually making a difference in supporting positive policy change on environment and conservation, and it can also happen in Singapore. So, would you say the government has been quite responsive to the work of your group and other environmental NGOs so far? I think uh, in support of all the you know the green groups and the green community, this has been a very passionate group, and and I and we and I actually do see. Uh, the movement really picking up and growing in, the re- in recent years, which is great. Mm-hmm. So there are organizations like WWF, and of course, we, we work on these issues. But there's also a lot of the, the support or the energy comes from actually passionate individuals or volunteers that actually start to see you know, the, the, the importance of environment and conservation to Singapore and to their future right here. So, so I think in recent years, we started to see the momentum picking up, which is really exciting time actually for, for us in Singapore. Was it a big moment for you guys when um, PM Lee said in his National Day rally speech last year 
that climate change is an existential issue for Singapore and that the government would be putting in billions towards um, mitigating the impact of climate change on the country? Yeah, I mean, to be to be fair, climate change is not a new issue. And for WWF, right, we've been working on it for, for years and years. But I think what made the difference, and, and you're completely right to say that it was a big moment, it was a big moment for, for Singapore, because suddenly with, when the Prime Minister uh, acknowledges the importance of the issue and actually you know, actually said that in his words, this is an existential issue for Singapore. This is life and death mm-hmm. because we will be impacted by climate change and this is where, you know, this is why we have to act. So when somebody at the, the highest you know, levels of the government actually says this, we saw overnight, almost overnight, that that momentum and change, not just among conservation organisations, mm-hmm. but you see media start picking up on the conversations, you see mm-hmm. individuals start start being more aware and, and actually most importantly, businesses starting to see wh- what they can do mm-hmm. and how and, and even within the government, right? Different, you know, ministries kind of working together to see how how climate can be uh, whether there can be stronger policies on climate. On that note, um, are there particular business groups in Singapore that have more of an environmental impact? And do you guys go out of your way to get your messaging out to these groups? I think it depends on on the environmental issues. We do believe that you know um, every 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 business and industry actually contributes to it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, given across all the environmental issues that WWF will all be engage businesses in, you know, the F&B industry, the hospitality industry. We also work a lot with banks and mm-hmm. financial institutions. And of course, we hope to work more with, you know, uh, we hope to see more industries like clean energy or alternative sources of energy come out in the next few years, especially on climate. Okay. And uh, yeah, we'll come back to that on the Singapore angle later on. Um, right now, I want to ask... Um, so what has been the COVID-19 pandemic's impact um, in a bigger picture on the environment so far? You know, Danny, actually, I think that the main thing about the impact, is not about COVID-19 impact on the yeah. environment, but about the impact on us and how we realise that we are so linked, so much mm, linked to nature right. uh, and the environment. So, you know, I think no one really expected this, but, you know, one single event in one country, in one part of the world, can have such wide-ranging, you know, health, social, and economic impact, mm-hmm. and and actually it came from possibly you know one 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 wildlife species. Mm-hmm. So I think in in the last few months, people in Singapore and around the world really saw how we are so connected to nature. And once something goes wrong, it it impacts us. Uh, lives have been lost. Mm-hmm. livelihoods have been lost as well. Mm-hmm. So nature is really the, the fundamental I don't know, ground of, of where of healthy societies and healthy economies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I do think that for us, we take it for granted almost on a daily basis. So we exploit nature um, if, and we build economies from the clearing land, from fishing our seas. Mm-hmm. And we build, help, uh, we build economies, we grow based on that. But the thing is, I think for a long time, we've not been really taking care of nature and therefore now we are seeing the impacts. And the truth is that the links between nature and us, they've always been there. You know, Singapore, we've experienced the haze for over 60 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this comes from us clearing forests by fire uh, in the region as well. So 
So it's not, this is not new. The fact that when we consume something or we do something uh, in, in a place like Singapore, there is some impact or some price that is paid uh, somewhere else in the world. We don't usually see that, that link on a daily basis. But I think what COVID, the, the pandemic has done is to really show us, hey, this is a wake-up call. We are connected to nature. And if you're going to have economic stability, stability we're going to have thriving societies, mm -hmm. we better be making sure that we are protecting nature well. And are you seeing like the businesses, industry and governments responding um, with this in mind? Like, are they, are they aware that of this connection now more than ever? Well, I think currently uh, in a lot of places around the world, it's, uh, it's, governments are still responding. We're still, the reality of today is that we're still navigating a global health crisis. Mm -hmm. We are figuring our way through this. We, we don't know whether it's going to come back. People, uh, countries are still coming out of lockdown. So, so I think a lot of, you know, globally for governments, the resources are being diverted to handling an immediate health crisis uh, for good reason. Mm -hmm. However, I think one thing that we also cannot lose sight of are the, the systemic issues behind pandemics. Because the truth is, COVID is not the first pandemic that we've experienced. In fact, if you think about it, uh, SARS, Ebola, mm -hmm. avian flu, these, these are actually recent events that, and, and these are pandemics that have also impacted us. And we are seeing the frequency of such pandemics uh, increase over the years. Mm -hmm. So there is something, it's, it's not just about like one virus or, or one wildlife species, but there's something more systemic behind why are we experiencing more pandemics uh, because we are you know, obviously uh, destroying nature. We are not treating, uh, yeah, we are, we are not protecting forests. We're not protecting our wildlife enough. And that, therefore, we see more uh, pandemics. So governments, even as they handle an immediate health crisis, mm -hmm. actually have to do more to, to, to fix these systemic issues behind pandemics. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think that's one thing that we cannot lose coming out of this. And um, when you talk about the link between um, the spread of pandemics and the link to wildlife and so on, um, can you elaborate more on how this happens? There's been some speculation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where, what are the origins of zoonotic diseases? And mm -hmm. basically COVID, and what the science tells us is that COVID actually comes from, it's actually a zoonotic disease. Mm -hmm. It came from a virus that managed to jump the species barrier between uh, an animal and a human at some point. And that's mm -hmm. how the, the virus started spreading. So I think what we need to look at right now are what are the conditions that enable the spread of this zoonotic disease? The same way it's enabled the spread of other previous pandemics like mm -hmm. Ebola and SARS. Uh, the first thing, the first important driver is, the, is land use change. So mm -hmm. by land use change, uh, we're actually talking about, for example, when we clear land or clear forests, for to build roads or to build farms mm -hmm. so traditionally a lot of uh, you know pathogens are in tropical forests and when you leave a, a, a forest untouched actually the forest acts as a buffer mm -hmm. between all these pathogens in the forest mm -hmm. and, and us humans right. but when we as we clear forests for you know our own needs what's happening is that we are coming into closer and closer contact with all these pathogens um, that humans have never experienced or come mm -hmm. into contact with before. So that's one reason why, you know, we are increasing the risk of our exposure to, to zoonotic diseases. That's one thing. But the other thing is also we are farming livestock like at, at 
intense rates like never before. Mm-hmm. We are we need to consume food, we need to consume meat products. But and what and what's happening is that when we are farming, we're farming livestock at you know in 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 high volumes, and these livestock are then sold in markets or bred in markets. That then again, because of the close contact between humans and animals in these markets, that's another contributing factor for the spread of zoonotic diseases. And uh, so what you're saying is that all those sightings of like, you know, um, nature returning or in Singapore, you know, the sightings of like things like uh, wild boar in like housing residential estates or otters as well. um, It's not necessarily a positive thing. Well, I think it's it's it was amusing when you hear mm-hmm. of these stories, you know, in Singapore and even for me while being on lockdown at home, it, it was also nice to see, you know, grass growing by the road mm-hmm. and see more butterflies, for example. But actually what it, it should serve is a reminder that, you know, we share our space in Singapore, uh, not just with humans, but there are there's wildlife, uh, there's there are also plants that that share this space with us. Um, but however, I I wouldn't you know say that be so quick to say that oh wildlife is recovering or it's coming back. Okay. Uh, just because it's humans and our destruction of natural habitat, that's the reason for us being on on lockdown in the first place. So what we are really seeing is just more evidence of the fact that hey wildlife have always been there. We're just noticing it more right now. What about the wet markets in Singapore? Is WWF concerned? about them potentially being a breeding ground for this kind of transmission? I feel like there's been a bit of misconceptions globally about what a, what a wet market is. Mm-hmm. And definitely not our average neighbourhood wet market in Singapore. Because mm-hmm. I also go to the wet markets, right? So yeah. I don't think these are the markets that we're talking about. What we're talking about are those markets where, you know, where the conditions for the spread of zoonotic diseases you know, these markets create the conditions for the spread of zoonotic diseases. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, you have animals packed really closely together and in conditions that are so stressful for them that they might start expressing, you know, certain symptoms of the virus. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And also the species of animals in these markets, when it's not regulated, you could have domesticated uh, animals, but that, that you could also have wildlife being brought in to be sold. So it is these kind of high-risk markets, not so much the typical Singaporean definition of a wet market, mm-hmm. but these high-risk markets are what we really need to address and actually stop if we are going to prevent a pandemic from ever happening again. And in light of what we know now, um, does WWF have any proposals on how to deal with or prevent uh, future pandemics? Mm-hmm. So we, we think that, I mean, we really need to be addressing the underlying causes of of why pandemics happen. And, and actually, this is where even individuals like us, we really have a part to play. Mm-hmm. So we, we firstly, we know that, you know, COVID or zoonotic diseases come when we clear forests and, and we, we do it unsustainably. Mm-hmm. So... We, so what we need to be solving is to stop the clearing of forests or the unsustainable clearing of forests or you know, use of land for, for human purposes. So we, we do need to be, for example, consuming food more sustainably or supporting sustainable palm oil or mm-hmm. sustainable forestry products. In this way, we are ensuring that the things that we buy in the supermarket, right, don't come, are not, you know, are supporting businesses that are being responsible with how they are managing forests. That's mm-hmm. one. That's one thing. Um, we also know that COVID comes because of the illegal wildlife trade and mm-hmm. how, you know, and, and we are buying wildlife and trading wildlife. So one thing that us as consumers need to do is to make sure that we are not 
supporting or buying any illegal wildlife products. Mm-hmm. Which you can still, if you want to, you can still buy wildlife products illegally, even online in Singapore or around the region today. So that's something that we can stop. And when we stop the demand, so will the trade. And then what challenges do you face in trying to change consumer habits? I mean, to me, it seems like that's a very tough thing to convince people to change their behavior of, you know? Yeah, you're right. And and I think we are used to, you know, a lot of the environmental problems come from the fact that we have lifestyles that, you know, we, we are consuming unsustainably. We are used to a certain level mm-hmm. of convenience or we don't even, maybe sometimes we don't even realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and consumer behavior change does take a long time. Mm-hmm. This is where I think government policies really have a big difference. Mm-hmm. With COVID, you can see, you know, the moments that the power of a strong and a good policy, the moments people, people are not going to be wearing masks uh, on their own. But the moment you have a, a policy or a fine or some enforcement, mm-hmm. you're going to make sure that people adapt, you know, these safe habits in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. This is what we need to be doing if we are going to be seriously addressing, uh, you know, habits or lifestyles that create other environmental problems, for example. Mm-hmm. And which groups in general have been more responsive to this kind of messaging? Is it the young or are you seeing um, positive feedback across the board? <laughs> I think younger Singaporeans uh, and, and around the world also, you, we see this growing support, uh, concern, and even sometimes, sadly, anxiety among the younger people. But mm-hmm. Growing up, yeah. seeing the impact of environmental problems and realizing that uh, when they grow up, they have to then take on uh, and shoulder the burden of dealing with this, whether it's pollution or, or the climate crisis, they are the ones that have to solve it. So we do see, I guess, maybe uh, younger people in Singapore starting to speak up out of, you know, maybe necessity mm-hmm. to really create the change uh, policies, policy-wise amongst businesses and governments. And what has been the pandemic's impact on um, efforts to combat climate change? If anything, I would imagine that the media spotlight has been taken away from the issue right now. Yeah, I think some short-term impacts, like important events like you know an international climate forum that was set to take place this year, has to be postponed mm-hmm. now because of health and safety reasons. So there are some like you know uh, shorter-term impacts, but actually in 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 the longer term we cannot afford to lose sight of the climate crisis even as we go through COVID. The, the truth is, and I'm sorry to say this, but we are battling more than one crisis at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Even as we navigate COVID, we have carbon emissions peaking every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, no one, Everyone is not crazy about 2020, but the truth is we just ended a decade that was the hottest in human history. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are also losing biodiversity. In fact, we've never seen extinction rates. Uh, the world has never seen extinction rates the way we are witnessing it right mm-hmm. now. So we have a climate and nature emergency and in addition to the current health emergencies. So I would say that you know we cannot afford to forget that we have to address climate change along with uh, along with COVID. And in fact, people around the world recognize this. In fact, there was a survey by a survey company, Ipsos, mm-hmm. quite recently with over 20,000 people around the world. Okay. And it found that people in, majority of people in places like China, mm-hmm. Malaysia, Mexico, and India, uh, developing countries like that, they really support 
making sure that stimulus packages by their governments are going to green industries or green companies mm -hmm. that are more sustainable and more resilient in the long run. So I think that's a positive sign that that you know we people support making sure that climate change is addressed even as we address COVID. Another pandemic-related uh, issue is that it's affected the global supply chains and uh, many countries, including ourselves, um, we are now looking to improve self-sufficiency, and especially in terms of like food supply. So uh, what do you think of um, Singapore's agricultural plans, like the 30 by 30? How can we move towards self-sufficiency in food, but sustainably as well? I think it's great that firstly, people in Singapore are, I think for the first time in their lives, realizing that food security really matters. Yeah, and instead of growing tomatoes. <laughs> experiencing for the first time that oh you have to run to the supermarket or because the, sh the shelves can go empty mm -hmm, right so yes. I think that's a lesson that everybody learned in Singapore uh, during COVID mm -hmm. this means that you know we uh, so I think in terms of the, the reaction by Singapore having a 30 by 30 goal where we want to produce more food uh, locally, I think that's great mm -hmm. because when we are producing and consuming more locally, uh, on one hand, we are also making sure that the food that we get have a lower carbon footprint and it also addresses climate change. So I think that's, that's really good. And even for, so I would encourage anybody listening to this, right? If you go to the supermarket, if you have to pick between like, I guess, two different kinds of eggs, maybe see the, or where it's from and, and pick the one that's closer to Singapore. But I think you can also do more than just producing food locally because the truth is uh, you know we the world loses one third of all the food that we produce mm -hmm. which is really silly because food is produced at a really high cost to the environment mm -hmm. and it's so hard to get and yet for some reason we waste one third of it so mm -hmm. actually there's a lot that we can do right just making sure that even as we want to produce more, can we waste less food? Yeah. And this is a call to businesses or hotels um, to make sure that you know when we are when they are running the businesses, how can they avoid food waste? And that's something that we can also do at home mm -hmm. by making sure that we are not you know first in first out rule is something that all of us can take when we go in our kitchens, making sure that the food that we put into the fridge first is the first that we we consume. And in terms of the, the view that uh, we've talked a bit about this already, about how much an individual can, in Singapore, especially being such a small country, can make in terms of improving the environment. We talked about say, uh, avoiding food waste. We talked about making conscious choices. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about how do I make a conscious choice when I'm consuming or buying something about which is the more um, environmentally friendly product? I think one way to, to, to a very easy way to start is to understand perhaps certain certifications mm -hmm. um, because w certifications when it comes to, for example, things like palm oil, it's a, actually a very useful oil, but um, when it's produced unsustainably, there are huge environmental costs. Mm -hmm. There's also things like when it comes to your seafood, there are certain global standards for certification as well. So the thing is when, and, and also for even things like your toilet paper and your paper products, there are uh, certifications, it's called the Forest Stewardship Council, mm -hmm. which tell you that, that these products are made by responsible businesses. So if you want to do more um, than your, you know, your daily lifestyle choices, mm -hmm. when you go to the supermarkets, by just by looking at certifications and maybe understanding a little bit more about that, what you are doing with the power of your consumer dollar, right, is to support businesses that put in the effort in their supply chains mm -hmm. to be more sustainable. 
And then you're also creating consumer demand for, for, for such sustainable products, which then encourage businesses uh, to, to then consider certification as well. So actually that is a really powerful way that maybe not, um, not many people in Singapore are aware of right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of, of course, there's also our daily habits in terms of, you know, uh, use of plastic products, for example, mm-hmm. or, or the, the food that we consume. I think in general, we just have to consume more sustainably, waste less, mm-hmm. um, don't overconsume. Mm-hmm. Don't just default to the, the most convenient choice, which might not be the most environmentally friendly right. option. I think like, you know, we, we were just talking about COVID and how actually pandemics or environmental problems really come because of human actions and we don't realize, you know, the that the choices that we make and the actual environmental impact of it. So so yeah, so just in general, consuming less, more sustainable lifestyle, actually that's, that can be really valuable. How about in terms of like um, individual efforts to support causes like reducing climate change or supporting clean energy? What, what are our, our options in Singapore? Well, I think on climate, there, on climate, I think there are some options that are already available. Firstly, we just talked about how we can support businesses and create more consumer demand. So mm-hmm. with an open uh, electricity market right now, Mm-hmm. You could send a signal to the market by opting for providers that offer solar as a, a viable energy choice. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one way that we we can do right now. Mm-hmm. Although in the area of climate, there's so much more that can be done, including mm-hmm. addressing the fact that 60% of Singapore's emissions come from industry, including the power sector. So I think, um, you know, we talked about people joining groups. We, we started this podcast by talking about how, how more people are speaking out and, try and influencing policies around the world. Mm-hmm. We can do that in Singapore as well. You know, go to your MPs. Uh, I know it's election period right now, but <laughs> go, go to your MPs with requests that are not just about car, car parks or, or right. art groups, right? Yes, yes. We can go to the MPs to make our voice heard on what are the environmental issues that matter to us, like climate, and mm-hmm. and and just and just going and making our voice heard? It can actually, you know, over time influence policies uh, on a wider scale. Some would say Singapore's impact on the environment in terms of say um, carbon output and so on um, is negligible. But at the same time, do we also have a responsibility to be some kind of leader in the region when it comes to efforts to combat climate change? Well, you're right, but you know, ultimately, this is a question about survival. Singapore, mm-hmm. we are a low-lying island, yes. which means that in all climate projections, right, if anything, if, if climate change worsens, actually, we are at the receiving end of it. So actually, mm-hmm. we are disproportionately affected, or we are going to be disproportionately affected by the impacts of climate change. This means that it doesn't even matter that we are a small country and mm-hmm. possibly don't contribute in absolute amounts to global emissions. Because we are a small country and this is our survival, I think we have even more, we need to be punching above our weights, right? To make mm-hmm. it, to make sure that we take a leadership role in responding to climate change. Because when Singapore can respond, it sets a standard for other countries around us as well. I think one easy, one thing that Singapore has done is to, for example, implement a carbon tax. Mm-hmm. So it's the first country in Southeast Asia to implement a carbon tax, which then sends a message that we are serious about it. But I think we can do so much more uh, in terms of climate ambition as well. Uh, just as a last one, before we end things off, um, I ask all my guests, like, what are the silver linings you see to the pandemic? Um, I mean, we talked a bit more about like how we view our relationship to nature and so on. 
and maybe this might change. Um, do you see anything else that um, might be a positive kind of learning lesson or something that we might take away? I think maybe something that the pandemic has taught us is that things can change and it can change pretty quickly. I think with environmental challenges, sometimes we don't know how long it will take people to change or you know how people will respond. But I think if anything, uh, a pandemic that really has hit us in a really real way, mm-hmm. we've seen people step up and we've seen governments step up. So I think mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, that, that gives me a lot of hope because when, when it comes down to it, people will come together as a community to help one another. Um, and governments actually have the ability to implement policies uh, that enable this. So I think this is a, a lesson that we can actually take, right? And I hope we can take to addressing other challenges like climate. We also need to come together for climate. We also need good policies for climate, as an example. So hopefully that's that's something that I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed coming mm-hmm. out of this. I'm going to be relying on people in Singapore and our government to make sure that we, we don't just survive this you know short-term pandemic, but we can also address the longer-term challenges. Well, thank you very much, Janissa. This has been a very informative conversation. My pleasure. And that's all we have for this week's episode of On The Mic. We've got more great content lined up in the coming weeks, so do stay tuned. In the meantime, this is Danny Osman wishing everyone a great National Day weekend. Have a good one and stay safe. Music